So Acts chapter 20, we have an interesting scene where Paul meets with the elders, with the pastors of the church in Ephesus. I was, uh, just for fun and maybe for uh, personal torture, I don't know why I did this, but uh, went to the internet, which is the source of all wisdom, as we know, to see what the internet thought it was that pastors do. What's the job description of a pastor? And I found on one, it was a, a Christian website, so it, it, this is sort of tongue-in-cheek, uh, somewhat true, but also uh, meant to, to just be kind of funny. The A to Z's of a pastor's job description. And this is what they listed as what a pastor is. He is an ambassador, an advocate, an administrator, a baptizer, a building usage consultant, confidant, confidant, confronter, community builder, discussion leader, encourager, emotional baggage handler, funeral companion, grace giver, grounds inspector, historian, interpreter, justice seeker, knowledge dispenser, latent gift discoverer, Mediator, missionary, nurturer, organizer, opportunity spotter, public speaker, problem solver, questioner, quarterback, not me, reviewer, (laughs) Robert's ruler, those of you who know Robert's rules of order, there's a giggle, thank you for that, spokesperson, spiritual director, teacher, trainer, unifier, utility player, volunteer coordinator, vision caster, wedding ceremony presider, extraordinary ingenuity with limited resources. It's hard to think of things that start with the letter X. Most pastors don't play the xylophone. So youth advocate, Yule celebrator, as in Yuletide celebrator, zeal stoker, and zookeeper. (laughs) That's not my list. That's a list that I I found. So you may wonder sometimes, what what is it that a pastor uh, does? What is his job description? And this is a a, a humorous sort of summary of what pastors do. Uh, And this is really a summary of what some pastors do throughout the week. But it isn't really a good definition of, of who pastors are and what pastors must be. In our text today, though, in Acts chapter 20, as Paul speaks to the elders, to the pastors, the overseers of the church at Ephesus, uh, he will give to us and to them a very clear picture of what a pastor ought to be. And what he ought to do most primarily is to guard the flock of God. Let's uh, go to God's word together. And would you stand with me as we read Acts chapter 20, verses 13 through 38. Going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to uh, Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following, day, the following day opposite Chios. And the next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So just here we get a brief sort of travelogue of how uh, Paul and Luke and their missionary companions got from uh, Troas to Assos and then eventually down to um, Uh, to Miletus, where the action of the following verses takes place. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, Paul sent to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them this, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. 
how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. Here in our text this morning, this this longer speech exhortation of Paul to the pastors of the church of Ephesus there in the town of Miletus, in this text, we find Paul's personal example and exhortation to these elders, giving us a compelling commission to pastors of churches to guard the flock of God with selfless devotion and watchful care. That's primarily what we find here in this text. Looking at that and studying that this morning, Developing a biblical definition of the role that pastors fulfill in churches. As a result, pastors should, uh, from encountering God's word and, uh, uh, um, what is the word? Internalizing, there it is, it into our hearts today. Pastors should seek to carry out their lives and ministry in faithfulness to God's instruction. But likewise, church members should expect of their pastors what scripture has called them to do and to be. And to love them as fellow members of the church. Let us look at the text this morning. First in verses 17 through 27, we find Paul giving to, recounting, recalling for the pastors of Ephesus there in Miletus, his own pattern of ministry. Paul's pattern of ministry. His pattern of ministry is of humble, heartfelt gospel teaching. In these verses, Paul recounts the character of his ministry to the church in Ephesus. You recall he spent three years in that city with those believers. He himself notes in verse 19 that it was the Lord that he served, not explicitly the people who were there, primarily the Lord. And Paul serves the Lord by serving the church, by building up the church. Though certainly he did do, Paul, a great service for the Ephesians as he was there ministering to them. 
But because it was the Lord Jesus that Paul considered himself serving during those three years in Ephesus, he did so with all humility. And twice in our text today, he says, even with tears through all the many trials that came. Paul's pattern of ministry is humble and heartfelt. He loves the people he's ministering to. But his pattern of ministry is also bold. Twice, Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring the gospel to you, uh, from declaring anything that was profitable. Paul is unafraid of saying the hard things that the gospel implies for the lives of his friends. Paul knows that when the gospel intersects the life of a sinful person, there are going to be some hard things that need to be said. When the gospel intersects the life of a a well-tenured or mature Christian, there are going to be hard things that need to be said. Paul says, on all occasion, I did not shrink from saying the hard things that the gospel has to say to you. His ministry was heartfelt, it was compassionate, but it was also bold. Most especially, Paul is unafraid of saying to sinners that they need to repent of sin and trust in Jesus. We know that the gospel is good news. It is good news of how God rescues us from our sin that, that we have committed and in our rebellion against God have separated uh, ourselves from him. The gospel is the good news that though we have separated ourselves from God, God has, has made a way for us to be united with him again and that by trusting in his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, who lived a sinless life, a life without sin, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, be raised from the dead so that by trusting in him, being united to faith in Christ, we might not only have our sins forgiven, but also be justified, made right with God. The gospel is good news, but the gospel is not always easy news to deliver. Friend, if you're visiting with us today or you've been visiting with us for a while and and you would not yet call yourself a Christian, you've not yet embraced Christ by faith in your life today. This is good news that you are hearing this morning, that that God has made a way for you to be right with him, to have your sins forgiven, to have abundant spiritual life now. If only you will turn from your sin, turn from doing things the way that you want, when you want, where you want, how you want, with whom you want, and changing your life to follow Christ and to be obedient to him. There is salvation by trusting Jesus and following him. That's good news to hear. It's hard news to deliver. And yet Paul never once shrank back from humbly pleading with tears with the Ephesians to be saved. Paul's pattern of ministry is one of humble gospel teaching. But it is also, and we see from verses 22 through 27, that his pattern of ministry is one of being committed to obedience to Christ. Turning from his past pattern of ministry, Paul turns now to the future. He says, this is what I did when I was with you, and now this is what awaits me. He says to the elders of the church at Ephesus that the Holy Spirit has revealed, has confirmed in his heart and in his soul that he must go on to Jerusalem, and that from this point on, only imprisonment and affliction await him. Talk about a tough word from God for your life. It kind of puts Jeremiah 17, 9 in... uh, uh, um, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 29, 11, excuse me, in context, right? The, the, where the, the Lord says, I, you know, I have, I have plans for you and plans for your, for your good and all of that. Well, Paul receives the word of God's plans for his life. It is one of imprisonment and affliction. So God means good things for you. It just may not come in the way that you would like it to, okay? More than this, more than just the suffering that awaits Paul and ultimately his death, 
for the gospel. Paul knows that this will be the last time that he sees these pastors from Ephesus uh, here on this earth. And what does Paul ask uh, of God, knowing that he will never see these dear brothers again? What does Paul want for himself, knowing he is going to eventually die and not see these people that he loved for three years and pastored and equipped for three years? His only prayer looking forward to what lies, or to what lies ahead for him is only, he says, that I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul will be arrested, he'll be imprisoned, he'll be shipwrecked in the following chapters of Acts. He will eventually make an appeal to Caesar, of all people, for, uh, in defense of what he's doing for the gospel. Paul says, all that I want to do is be faithful, be obedient to Jesus. Who is this guy? Seriously, who is this guy? I've never met a person like Paul in my life. I haven't. Somebody who, who just, I, I've just not been blessed to meet a person quite like him. I don't know that I ever will until uh, I get to glory. And, and I certainly look forward to meeting Paul to ask him, seriously, dude, who are you? Who is this guy? Paul's the guy who, at his conversion, was told by the Christian brother Ananias in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, how, uh, about how much he must suffer for the sake of Jesus' name. That's who this guy is. Paul is the guy who wrote at the end of his life to the young Ephesian pastor, Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance hearing. Paul's the kind of guy who wants nothing more than to be obedient to Jesus, even if, or better yet, even though his obedience will lead to his death. That's the pattern of this guy's ministry. I would encourage you, Christian, this morning, whether you're a pastor, past pastor, or, or you feel that God maybe has called you to pastoral ministry, or you are just a believer, a Christian today, I encourage you to pattern your life with humility and obedience to Jesus. Follow Paul's example. These character traits, humility and obedience, are hardly commonplace to us in society today. In fact, I think we could say that, that neither of these is really of any social capital to us at all. You don't gain much in the world by being humble and obedient. Certainly, we're not a humble people as a society. And that much is evident from how we use social media, the way that, that, that we use Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to puff ourselves up, to create an image of ourselves that is not quite true This much is evident from the kinds of reality TV shows and reality TV stars that we are acquainted with and the people that even we celebrate as a culture. We are not a humble people. Dear friends, do you want to go near the matter of obedience this morning? I'll not belabor the point, but I will say this. In our highly individualized culture, where personal autonomy is the highest moral value, we all have problems with obedience. We all have problems with submitting to authority, whether it be governmental or in the home or in our marriage or in the church or at school. We all have problems with doing what other people tell us is the right thing to do. We don't like it. But Paul, 
This one-time Pharisee of Pharisees, hater of Christ, enemy to the church, has now near the end of his life seen humility and obedience, giving his whole life and all of his energy for the glory of Jesus and the growth of the church. Paul has seen humility and obedience as the only things that are worth living and dying for in the gospel. Church, you too pattern your own life with humility and obedience. You need an example from nature? I'll give you one. One day I was out on a run uh, in our neighborhood, and as I was running down the sidewalk, I just happened to look down, and I saw two things that caught my eye. One was a giant spider in its web along a brick wall, which I very quickly avoided, and the other was a bumblebee lying dead on the sidewalk all by itself. Worker, bumblebee, all alone in her death. It got me thinking about the life of a bumblebee or any of these sort of colony insects. You could look at ants too, but bumblebees are just cuter. (laughs) The life cycle of a worker bumblebee is usually less than a year. The queen uh, uh, bee will, before the winter, she will lay a bunch of eggs and stockpile resources for herself. She'll hibernate for the winter. And then in the spring, when the eggs hatch and the, the worker bees are born, their immediate orders, their only cause in life is to go out and to bring resources back to the queen so that as she uh, lays new queen eggs, that they can all be taken care of before the cycle starts over in the winter. A worker bumblebee spends her entire life working for the glory and survival of another. They work for the glory of the queen, for the survival of the queen and of the colony. They give their entire lives and they die alone on a sidewalk in Ventana Ranch. That is a great way to live your life. That is a great way to live your life, to spend your entire existence working for the glory of another, for the glory of God, and for the, the, not just the survival, but the thriving of the gospel in the world, and then to die quietly with no one knowing anything about you other than you lived your entire life for the glory of God and the thriving of the gospel. That is a great way to live. That is a great pattern for our lives. Paul demonstrates that to us. And then in verses 28 through 31, Paul gives to these elders that he is speaking to, these pastors of the church, a pastoral imperative, a command, a command for these faithful servants of the church in Ephesus. Now, it's helpful for us at this point to note just once more that the men that Paul is talking to, though here they are called elders, are what we would call today pastors or overseers of the church. Our text today actually illustrates very clearly to us that these three words, elder, pastor, and overseer, are used synonymously throughout the New Testament to speak to the one office, which is which we most commonly call pastor, but you could just as easily call elder. Luke says that Paul called for the elders of Ephesus to come to him, didn't he? Then in verse 28, Paul himself says to these elders that the Holy Spirit has called these elders as overseers, to be overseers of the body. And as elders who are overseers, they are to care for, the Greek word is to shepherd, to pastor the church of God. Elders are overseers called by the Holy Spirit to pastor the church. 
And there are several of them in the church at Ephesus who carry out this calling together. So when you see that word elder in the New Testament, pastor or overseer or shepherd, all three of those, all of those terms work interchangeably to speak of the one office of elder slash pastor slash overseer in the church. Here is Paul's command. Here's his imperative in two parts to the the pastors of Ephesus. First of all, pastors, in the first part of verse 28, watch your life. Watch your life. Paul commands them to watch their own lives because they are guarding and caring for the flock of God as those who put forward an imitation-worthy example of Christian faithfulness. Elders are not called to a different or a higher standard of moral and ethical conduct as Christians. Do you know everything that God requires of pastors, he requires of all Christians? It's just that pastors, that elders are to exemplify these things, to to put forward an imitation-worthy example to the churches that they lead. Pastors are not called to a different standard of moral and ethical conduct or a higher standard of moral and ethical conduct as Christians, but they are called to exemplify these things well to exemplify the holiness and repentance that ought to characterize every follower of Jesus. The character and integrity of the overseers of the local church is of utmost importance, for they are the ones who are setting the course for Christian discipleship for the body. Some have likened the ministry of the pulpit, the preaching ministry of the church, if you will, as a rudder for the whole of the church. But even more than just what happens here on a Sunday morning, even more important than that is what happens in my own life Monday to Saturday. The course of my life as the the senior pastor you've called to, to primarily lead us in moving forward as a church, the pattern of my life should be imitation worthy by you all. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7, these uh, scriptures should be on the screen, you'd be able to read along. He says this to uh, young Timothy, who's pastoring later on in Ephesus. He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, the overseer, elder, pastor, same words, right? He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must be able to manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. You can see also Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 for a a similar uh, description of what pastors, elders, overseers ought to be. Peter says the same thing to the pastors of the churches in Asia Minor when he writes to them in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. He says this to them, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. This is a great uh, passage that also illustrates the elder pastor overseer are all synonymous terms. Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock, to pastor the flock, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, Peter says, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Pastors, watch your lives, Paul says. 
he gives them a second command. Don't just watch your lives, but pastors, watch the flock of Jesus. Care for the flock of Christ. In verses, the second half of verse 28 through verse 31 of our text this morning, Paul encouraged the elder, encourages the elders also, don't just watch your own life. Don't, don't just pay attention to your own conduct, your own integrity, your own character, but also watch out for the flock of Christ as well. Pay attention to them. He uses the imagery of a shepherd or a pastor, and there Paul warns of wolves from outside the flock and, and wolves in sheep's clothing from inside the flock who will seek to defy, divide and deceive the church, especially over matters of doctrine and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastors, watch the flock because wolves are trying to tear it to pieces, Paul says. There are two ways that pastors, that elders, that overseers watch the flock of Jesus, care for the flock of Christ that is among them. First of all, by correcting false doctrine. When wrong things about the gospel are being taught, it is the job of pastors, the job of elders, overseers in the church to confront false teaching, to call it for what it is. Paul says again to Timothy in his second letter to the young pastor, in Timothy two, 2 Timothy 2, 23-26, he says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Paul writes also to Titus, another young pastor, in Titus 1, verses 10 through 14. He says, There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, Paul says since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, uh, Titus ministered on the island of Crete, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Correct their false teaching, Paul says, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth. Pastors watch the flock of Jesus by correcting false doctrine. Elders in the church must be so well-versed in the gospel that they can spot a counterfeit, call it out, and correct dangerous and misleading teaching for the protection of the flock of God that they have been called to watch out for. Pastors watch the flock of Jesus by correcting false doctrine. They also watch the flock of Jesus by teaching sound doctrine. Correcting false doctrine teaching sound doctrine, two halves, two sides of the coin of watching for the flock of Jesus. Again, I'll take us to Paul's own words to, uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. Paul says there, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths as for you pastor timothy he says always be sober-minded endure suffering do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry again in titus chapter 2 verse 1 paul says Briefly, as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Pastors watch the flock of God, 
not just by correcting what is false, but also by teaching what is true, what is sound, what is in keeping with the gospel of Jesus Christ as we have it uh, displayed for us in Scripture. A faithful overseer of the flock of God will work hard to teach the gospel clearly and to teach the gospel well. He will strive to encourage the church through the scriptures and to lead them to a deeper understanding, a deeper appreciation, a a, a better application of the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Good pastors, good shepherds, good elders, overseers will watch the flock of God. So here we have a direct application for pastors, an imperative for pastors. And so forgive me a moment while I preach to myself and Pastor Danny. Brother Pastor... We must, <laughs> he called me sir. We must watch our own lives carefully. We must. We must. And I know that you know that. And we talk about it regularly. And we encourage one another often to do that. And I'm so grateful for a, a brother, a partner in ministry who helps me to watch my life carefully. We need to watch our own lives carefully. Young men, you who feel that you may be called to pastoral ministry, that God is leading you to be a pastor one day, Or older men, if God's calling you maybe out of your career to be a a pastor. There's nothing shameful in that. Brothers, begin watching your lives carefully today if you haven't already. Watch, we must watch our own lives carefully. And we must also provide for and protect the flock of God. This is his body. This is his bride that he's given to our spiritual care. As I say that, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the responsibility that God has given to us. This is insane. But, but God's called us to it, so we do it as we watch our own lives and we provide for the flock of God. This is the call that God has placed upon all elders, pastors, overseers, to oversee and to shepherd the flock. It's not the responsibility of pastors to entertain the flock, but to edify them. It's not the job of elders to lead the church to be a profitable corporation, but to teach what is spiritually profitable. Neither, neither is it the job of the overseers to ensure the body's happiness, but to see to their corporate holiness. None of this is done well. None of this can be done rightly if the elders are not focused on their own holiness and their own closeness with Christ first. So pastors must watch their own lives carefully and provide for the flock of God. But there's an application for you as members too. Though Paul is speaking to pastors, to elders, overseers of the church in Ephesus, there's application for church members also. That members of the local church should pray for and follow the leadership of their elders, pastors, overseers. This call to pastors does not come without responsibility for the churches that they lead. No one is an elder or a pastor apart from the call of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that you are overseers of a flock which the Holy Spirit has called you to. And by God's grace in churches like ours, that call from the Holy Spirit on our own lives... is affirmed actively by the church that has called us. That is one of the beautiful things about being a Baptist church or about many of the free, uh, other free churches that are out there, autonomously governed churches. These bodies of Christ, excuse me, call their own pastors. They see in individual men who are qualified, the call, the leadership, the gifting of the Holy Spirit to be a pastor. And as a church, they say, we want you to shepherd us. We want you to guide us, to lead us, to oversee us. Elders, pastors, and overseers are God's provision to the church. They are gifts to the church. Ephesians 4 says so. You may not find me much of a gift, and I promise you, there's not a whole lot to unwrap here, but 
the call of God upon pastors to provide for, to protect, to lead the flock is one that we must obey. We, we, we don't have an, an option to disobey this. And our Christ-like leadership and care is such that should be followed and received by the body of Christ that they serve. So if you love your pastors, and I know many of you do, most of you do, I'm assuming all of you do. If you love your pastors and you think they're doing well to fulfill their calling, or if you're not a member of this church, you're visiting with us today, you love your pastors and you think they're doing a good job of of leading the church that you're a member of, then you can encourage your pastors by being vocally supportive and personally invested in their leadership and care. Pray for them. Pray for us. We need it. You can help us by uh, talking back to us in worship, right? When I'm pre- not like talking back in a confrontational way, not like my children talk back to me, but, you know, <laughs> but responding, you know? And many of you are very helpful there. It helps me to know that I'm not crazy. You, know, you can help Pastor Danny uh, immensely in his leadership and care by singing the songs that we sing. You have no idea how helpful those little things are to us and how good they are for your soul. Now, if you love your pastor, but you think that they are struggling to shepherd well, so you, there's, on the one hand, you love your pastors, they're doing a good job, you just be vocally supportive. Be, uh, be invested in their lives and in their leadership. But if you love your pastors and you see that they're struggling, you can encourage them by praying for them, privately and together with them, that God would either change their hearts or their minds or their actions or yours, your own perspective, for the good of the whole church. If you love your pastors, but you're struggling to follow where they're going, pray with them and pray for them that God would bring you together, that God would change in the hearts of your pastors the things that need to change, that God would change in your heart the things that needs to change so that together the whole church will grow in unity and effectiveness with the gospel. There's a third option, though. We've talked about what to do if you love your pastor and think they're doing a good job, if you love your pastor and you think that they could use a little bit of help. But if you can't stand your pastor's, if you can't stand your pastors and you think they're doing a terrible job and the only way you can manage to pray for them is that God would remove them as pastors from the church, you may encourage yourself best by finding a body of believers with pastors that you can submit to, that you can willingly pray for and willingly pray with and cooperate with in the gospel. There are situations where pastors and church members just butt heads. And, and this shouldn't be the case, but it is sometimes. Sometimes it is best for the testimony of the gospel in the world to, with all the grace of God, part ways so that everyone can minister with full effectiveness and distraction-free in the direction that God has called them to. I, let me say that uh, on that end too. I don't think and I don't pray for any of you to leave this church. I do love you dearly. And I, I pray that we all together continue to grow in closeness. But members of the local church should pray for and follow the leadership of their elders, pastors, and overseers. The writer of the book of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 13, 17, 18. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. They are caring for the flock of God. As those who have to give an account, give an account to Christ. Have you thought about that? I have to answer to Jesus about how I managed his flock, how I cared for his flock. That's scary. The writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. There's a pastoral imperative. Pastors watch your lives, watch the flock. And, and as a result, as pastors watch their lives and care for the flock, members pray for their pastors to be those who are good shepherds of the body. Third and finally, in verses 32 through 38, we see Paul leaving uh, Miletus and the Ephesian elders with a personal encouragement. As Paul closes his speech, he commends the elders of Ephesus to the word of God, to the gospel which the scriptures proclaim because the word of God is supremely capable of building them up and building the church up and giving them all that they need to grow in maturity in Christ. Moreover, Paul again points to his own example once more. His own life lived in humility without dependence upon anyone nor extortion of any person. His entire life was spent in caring for those in need. The work of the pastor, of the elder, is thus not just for the strong and able, but especially for the weak and the burdened and the poor and the needy. Paul quotes the saying of Jesus in verse 35 that you actually won't find in the Gospels. Paul says, Our Lord said, is more blessed to give than to receive. You won't find that phrase anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul is mistaken or that Christ never said these words. John says at the end of his gospel that there were many things that Jesus did that were not recorded in the gospels. In fact, all the books of the world could not contain the things that Jesus did and said. So uh, uh, Paul is quoting a, uh, a saying that, or, or a statement of Jesus that just didn't make its way into the gospels. But without a doubt, we know that Jesus often spoke about caring for the needy. He himself spent the majority of his time with those who were physically poor, feeding the thousands, blessing the widow who gave her last two pennies to the temple as a show of her own personal worship and sacrifice. Jesus loved the poor and the broken, and so must his servants, pastors of his church. So must his servants, elders in the congregation, must they lead the church to love the poor among them. I am so grateful that this is not a lesson I have to teach our church. As we have brothers and sisters in need among our congregation, I see often, without even having to ask anyone to do it, others stepping up to care for them. And that is such a blessing to me as your pastor to see that happen. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit just working itself out in us, church. It's good. As, those Paul, as though Paul's own words were not enough here to encourage these brothers, we find that his life speaks volumes even more. Leaving Miletus, bound for Jerusalem, never to see these pastors again, Paul is embraced by them in prayer and with much weeping over the loss of a friend who hasn't even died yet. These pastors loved Paul. The church of Ephesus loved Paul, in large part because they knew how much Paul loved them. Again, application for pastors and for churches. First, pastors, if we love Christ, we will strive to love our church. If we love Christ, we will strive to love our church. Pastor Danny, this body is the flock of God given to our care. Christ loved his flock. He loved his body, his bride, such that he gave his life for her sanctification. We need to remind ourselves of that often. Let us love Christ first, 
Yes, let us care for our wives and our children with all the love of Christ. Yes, but then, once we've seen to those two most important needs, let us love the beloved and beautiful body of Jesus Christ, his flock that he purchased from the dominion of sin and death with his own perfect blood. Let us love to death these, our brothers and sisters. The church, dear brother, is not our livelihood. She's the bride of Christ. Her members are not the funders of our children's education, but our fellow laborers in the gospel. Let us love them, brother. Let us love them. Church members, love your pastors. This, again, is not a a lesson that I need to teach you, I don't think, but it's worth saying all the same. So I'll say it to commend you and to encourage you to continue. Pastors are members of the church just like you. One of the beauties of, of being who we are in Christ is we know that there's, there's, not a, uh, there's not two different tiers, two different levels of believers in Jesus. Like, like tier one, like the, the really good ones are the pastors, and then there's you know, everybody else down here. There, there aren't two different levels of being Christian. There aren't two different levels of church membership. This, this clergy-laity divide that is so present in many other denominations is ungodly and unbiblical. We are all brothers and sisters. We, we are all granted the same access to the Father through Jesus Christ. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about Danny. But the brother can sing. <laughs> Pastors are members of the church just like you. You know and you bear with we who are imperfect like you. You know that we struggle with sin and temptation just like you. You know that we are human. You bear with our our, our, our fallibility. You know that we are at times insecure and proud, just like you. We need your help to learn how to raise our children to love Jesus. Help from you who have done so. You know that we've not been called to be CEOs or CFOs or COOs or CIOs or C whatever O's of the church. Yet often we end up doing tasks that resemble those corporate roles. You know that rarely does our work day end at 5 p.m., and that often it starts far earlier than 8 or 9 p.m. You know that your pastors hurt like you. You know that we cry like you cry. You know that we laugh at jokes and we love watching sports like you do. You know that we're hard to love, just like you. And you know that we're part of the body of Christ that we've all been called to love together. One of the wonderful things about being called to be your pastor is that I know that you love me, that you love Pastor Danny, warts and all. That is not a lesson I need to teach you, church. This is a truth you already know. This is is a, a truth and a part of the body life of Christ together that you already display well and sacrificially. And lovingly, thank you. Thank you for loving your pastors. Thank you for praying for your pastors. Pray that God would use us to lead our church into greater effectiveness with the gospel of Jesus. That we would all together live our lives like the humble bumble, giving all of us for the glory of another. Dying ignominious deaths with nothing else known about us but that we served a risen Jesus. Church, pray that we all would do that together.
As I pray, let us ask God to prepare our hearts to respond in song this morning. There are lots of ways you can respond to this text today. One of the best ways you can do it is by praying for your leaders, by praying for Pastor Danny and I, that God would help us to watch our lives and to care for the flock well, that all of us might, might live greater lives for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. You may even here this morning, hear a sermon about pastors. Realize that you have not yet made a decision to follow Christ, that you're not faithfully following Jesus, but you want to. You want to know this Jesus that we love and proclaim and, and whose death we, we preach to the world, his resurrection that brings new life. You may need new life in Jesus today. You want to trust Christ for the very first time for the forgiveness of your sins and your right relationship with God. I'll be standing here at the front. Corey, our student minister, will be standing here at the front to receive, to pray with anybody who needs to get their life to Christ this morning. Yeah. I pray that you would do so, that you'd have the boldness and courage and the strength that God provides to give your life to Jesus today enter into the life of the Christian, the life of the church. Let me pray for us, and as we do, praise team will make their way, and we'll respond to God's word and song today.